Oddities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel, most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic Swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob. And this week on Cinemodities, we are continuing uh, what we are officially calling, Zach, if I might ask, Nope-vember. Is that our official name? I think so, until we think of Fan- something better. Fantastic. Well, see, you got to have faith in me, Zach, that I thought of the best possible name. <laughs> anyway, Nope-vember, as we know it now, is continuing with yet another movie that never was a movie that had a lot of work put towards it, but it never made it to a final completion. And I'm just going to jump right into it. Zach, we are talking about Superman lives. That's the movie that never got made. The documentary documentary we are following is the death of Superman lives. So colon, what happened? Oh yes. I, yes. Colon. You forgot happened? the colon. I forgot the colon. Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for theaters. You can't forget the colon. Never. <laughs> so, yeah, those intro credits for this movie, they're intense. They're really intense. But I guess um, I have to throw this one over to Zach. Because, of course, Zach is the pioneer of November of the movies that never were. We talked about Jodorowsky's Dune. I had a lot to say about that. I have a lot to say about this documentary and the movie that could have been. But, Zach, please enlighten us. Why was this a choice of yours for November? Well, there's a couple of November titles, like we already discussed with Jodorowsky's Dune, and with we'll get probably in the next couple of weeks is the Doomed... Oh, this is another fantastic... It's like all these documentaries have weird titles. We have Doomed... The, oh, no, I'm sorry. Lost Soul, colon... <laughs> <laughs> the Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. I probably still got that wrong. But no, this was this is kind of one of the more influential or noteworthy titles in the November canon, as we're affectionately labeling it. Okay. And I feel that, considering that I think most people, and this is a definitely a hallmark of the documentary, is that most people are who are in the nerdy pop culture realm have seen the concept art of Nicolas Cage as Superman. I know it's definitely one of those uh, industry uh, stories where Nicolas Cage was paid something like $20 million to never play Superman. <laughs> but no, this is one of those stories. That I think if you do have a November uh, theming, you cannot not talk about the time Nicolas Cage almost played Superman and the, sure. and the drama sure. that surrounds it. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I believe I was vaguely familiar with the concept of Nicolas Cage playing Superman prior to watching this documentary, which I had never seen before until Zach pitched it to me. Um, a lot of this documentary was really interesting. Of course, we have different rules in November. We don't know if we're talking about the documentary half the time or the movie that never was half the time. But a lot of this was very intriguing to me. I loved the Kevin Smith aspects. I loved the crazy stories that surrounded Nicolas Cage and Tim Burton kind of meeting in a hotel room to structure this movie. But at the end of the day, I I think I have to say, Zach, this documentary kind of lost me at a certain point. And that's why I want to start our discussion about it, this documentary, because 
I don't know. I feel like for a solid 40, 30, 40 minutes of the movie, it's just everybody they could possibly find talking about random Superman ideas. Whether or not they had anything to do with the movie, they were just like, Superman could do this, could fight this, could battle this, could do this. And it was, I could not follow it at a certain point. Did you get that same sense? Or how do you feel about the structure of this documentary? Um, that's it's an interesting point Rob brings this up because in some of these documentaries, they don't, it's, well, it, it's the weird thing about trying to give a timeline of something that did, eventually didn't happen mm-hmm. is that everybody has a different perspective on it. I think probably out of all these, the best one is uh, Lost Soul, then Jordorowski's Dune, then this, then, okay. do, then Doom. Doomed is one of the worst ones where you kind of just, after a while, you lose track of what's going on in that documentary. Where does, where does Tangerine Reef fall in that ranking? <laughs> Somewhere above Thanks Killing. Oh, oh, okay, okay, Zach, good answer. <laughs> uh, so no, that's definitely one thing about this where I, with a lot, of, it's like with Jodorowsky's Doom, we, like, we didn't really sure, we had no idea how long it went on, this production, where it's like, oh, was it three months? Was it three yeah. years? The way they talk with this, they're like, oh, this went on for years. Yeah, if you look, it's like, oh, they talk about this was all after, this was like right during the Joel Schumacher era of Batman, because they're like, oh, Batman and Robin killed this. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of references to those movies in this in this documentary, absolutely. Yeah, and so I wonder, I, again, it, it's hard to get a grasp on these things, because again, this was a project that had so many people come on board and then leave. So for those, I think how Rob already explained it, it's basically there was going to be a Superman movie involving Nicolas Cage, Kevin – well, that's a weird thing though is that you have John Peters who – we could probably devote an entire episode to the career of John Peters if we knew anything about – if we really wanted to get into that. <laughs> if, there, if there ever was a man who's a cinemati, it's John Peters. Right on. Uh, so he basically gets the rights to Superman. John Peters – this is a quick backstory with him. He's the definition of the American dream. He was this, He was a makeup artist that got kind of entangled with Barbara Streisand, became her lover, and basically became like a studio executive in the process. <laughs> like, like, we all live, we can live a life. It's a we true rags-to-riches story. Oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, like I said, he, he's a fascinating person. He really is. And <laughs> he was able, and one of the big things is that to this day, he still has his fingers in the Superman rights. Because I know... They fight him. I know when they did like the Zack Snyder DCEU films, they had to like fight to get him away from it. Mm. Like he still collects a, like a very nice sized paycheck because he owns the rights. But like they do, I know. I think there was a big, there was a story that like Christopher Nolan did everything within his power to get his name stricken from Man, not Christopher Nolan, but get John Peter's name stricken oh. from the credits of Man of okay. Steel. Okay, interesting. Uh, I know John Peters is listed. I think in um, Superman Returns. But anyway, though, so John Peters gets the rights to Superman. Uh, basically, and that's a weird thing though. It's like, okay, how did he get? So he gets the right to that after he was the head of Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. but he has to go to. He's going to Warner Brothers with the idea again. It, as the connoisseurs of context, there is, <laughs> you know, even though there's a lot of context in this story, like Rob says, it's not structured in the best way possible. Yeah, and I think that's going to unfortunately bleed into how we discuss this film because I don't think we have the firmest grasp on this. I don't think but, anybody does. Well, I think some people do, because I know a lot of people are utterly fa- fascinated by the idea of Nicolas Cage as a superhero, because this year for Teen Titans Go! The Movies, he voiced Superman that movie. Oh. And in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse that comes out this December, he's voicing Spider-Man Noir. 
or mm. I guess that iteration of Spider-Man. Okay. okay. So there, there, so there is a we, this movie, much like like Jodorowsky's Dune, has bled into the pop culture of today. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people feel that I because this documentary came out in 2015. It was in production for I think two or three years before that. I remember I remember when the Kickstarter for this was going around. And it was like, oh, like 50 bucks gets you a Blu-ray copy. I'm like, screw that. <laughs> and I think to this day, like a Blu-ray copy is like going to cost you like 30 or $40 of this. It's, it's really weird how they've, they've done everything within their power to keep this at like a premium. Oddly enough, my, how I found this was on Showtime. I think they just aired it one day. I think Showtime had like a free weekend. They aired it. So I'm like, aha, joke's on you, John Snap. I'm watching this for free. <laughs> yeah, I noticed the uh, little showcase logo in the bottom right of this the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's a cheap SOB that I am. No, so, that's perfect. I, uh, I'm, I'm with you, Zach. Kevin Smith writes a draft of it. Apparently, I was listening to some uh, outside extracurricular stuff when it comes to this for the projection booth, which we referenced heavily in our Freaked episode. Mm-hmm. They did an episode on this, and apparently, part of the stuff is like Kevin Smith. Like, what really caught this, made this film, or the the, the non-existence of this film catch on, was that in Kevin Smith's comedy act in like the early two thousands, or I guess two thousands, he referenced this a lot. Oh, apparently like this, this was like a cornerstone of his act because he'd talk about how he was how he wrote this film and how essentially again how Kevin or how Nicolas Cage got paid millions of dollars not to be in it and yeah. how the whole thing kind of just again from a very comical perspective one that he he does a little bit he has a couple of like uh, jokes in here about how what happened to him during the process of this but more or less he's the one who kind of put this out into the nerdy pop culture sphere. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if it was probably after that that the infamous picture of Nicolas Cage in the suit, with the Polaroid picture, showed up. Because I know for years you'd see that picture. It was kind of like an, like a again a pop culture urban legend that Nicolas Cage was this, and the only proof we had this thing existing was this one Polaroid. Uh, I, I think it's interesting that in this documentary they talk about when Brian Singer was making Superman Returns that he'd walk around with it and openly threaten people with it. That was a very intriguing point for me as well. I thought that was really interesting where anybody had any criticism apparently about his Superman movie. He would pull out this picture and go, look at this, this is worse, so fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I, I find that fascinating, this weird sort of strategy. This, anytime somebody challenged, because I... I've heard, you know, I've only seen Superman Returns once. I think I've heard more people complain about that movie. Mm-hmm. I, I think more people, there's been more time, I think it's the only movie in history where people have spent more time complaining about it than actually ever watched it. Uh-huh. I remember watching that movie for the first time. I'm like, this this isn't that bad. I'm like, like it's not great. Pretty sure I'm watching theaters. this. Oh, weren't you the one who got mad that Caper, Superman's cape was like, uh, Waving in space. Weren't you really telling space. me? Moving in space, yeah, yeah. Why would why would Superman's cape like move with wind? Like look like wind is making it move in space. There's no wind in space. Like why see, would folks, that happen? See folks, case in point, the first thing I ever heard about this movie was somebody <laughs> complaining about it. <laughs> I know a lot of people complain about that movie. I don't get why. To this day I don't get why, other than the fact that people are mad that Superman doesn't punch people in the face. It, it ain't no man of steel. But like Rob said, anytime somebody – because I heard that Brian Singer fetishizes the, the Richard Donner Superman films. Mm-hmm. I've heard that he puts those on such a high pedestal it's not even funny. Okay. And so anytime somebody challenged how kind of back to basics he was going with this movie, 
that's when he whipped this out. It's like, oh, why is why is Superman like? Why are you doing this two and a half hour long like mope fest with Superman? And he yeah. just pulled and he pulled the picture out and be like, like Rob said, is this what you want us to do? Yeah, that's kind of the background for this in the sense of where it came from. So when this documentary or because like they, it was a Kickstarter, this was this was mm-hmm. this is one of the very first like movie. We're doing a, a background or the history on this film Kickstarter. I was like, okay, this is interesting. Well, I'll catch it when it eventually comes out. And when it came out, it, I never knew until after I really kind of thought about this documentary. There wasn't really a lot of concrete information on this film's just implosion before this. Like, like people would talk about it here and there, mm-hmm. but they're really, I, I know there's a lot of behind the scenes info and, or I guess footage in this between like different animation tests. Oh, yeah. Um, costume fittings for Nicolas Cage with Tim Burton there. And the weird thing is they're both making snide remarks, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, it's one of those things where I know I don't think the package is as uh, clean cut or organized as well as it could be. The Papa package? The p- p- package. Unfortunately, package. Or for- fortunately, this package does not have the, the AIDS in it. So that's, He got the package, Myrna. I can't believe he got the package, Myrna. Insert the clip here. But I heard the great man. Yeah, that's right, the package, Myrna. I can't believe he got the package, Myrna. <laughs> oh, dear. So I think that's, like, it's weird. It's kind of like the whole adage that it doesn't matter how, how good you are as long as you're the first one to the finish line. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how you get there as long as you're first. Because I can't see anybody ever making another documentary or anything, or maybe, maybe a book will come out of this, who knows. But I can't imagine anybody trying to redo this. And other than this, maybe rearranging the, the pieces a little bit better and giving yeah. a little bit more context in specific spaces. And which would obviously all you could do, right, is rearrange the back behind the scenes footage. You know, that's what so much of this documentary is, it seems. Yeah. And I know because I listened to, like I said, the projection booth episode on this and they interviewed John Schnepp. Uh, yeah. They interviewed John Schnepp and his mm-hmm. producer. And they make a very big point of saying that they excised a lot of the interviews and saved it for bonus content. Okay. So I'm thinking, I I don't want to say for certain, but I know if you go onto the website, it's like some ridiculous, like I said, it's some ridiculous sum of money to get like all the bonus features for this. And I think that that was like a very low key ploy. I think it was like, okay, we don't, we want to make this by, by, I guess by tearing it apart, we want to see, oh, look, all the extra superfluous content yeah. we have. You want that, yeah. too. You just don't want the documentary. You want the whole picture, which mm-hmm. I think it's funny. You're spending $30 for a Blu-ray, and apparently it doesn't get you the whole picture. It's an additional 20 bucks for the whole picture. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, so I, I get the vibe. <laughs> for, for how they talk, cause I know at one point the, the interviewers, like, they, they, they mention that they ask John Peters about J.J. Abrams' Superman film Ooh. that never got made. And he was like really excited. He interviewed. He's like, "Oh, how much of the how much of that did you get on tape?" And they're like, "Well, we got a lot of it though, but that's not included with with, with any of the the versions that we're selling." And mm-hmm. it's like, "Oh, so they're hanging on to this even longer, hoping they could probably milk a super duper collector's edition eventually out yeah. of this." And that's that's because I never really thought of it until today when I heard this that it seems like a lot of stuff was edited around just to hold something back in order to profit off of it. Okay. Or that's okay. the vibe I get from it. That's yeah, why that's, I think it comes across fair. incoherent at times. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, and, you know, I, I would not short them uh, that at all. 
you know, they're trying to make money, stretch it out as much as they can, of course. So with that being said, Rob, you're I have all with between us with the comic book lore, Rob, I think I've only read like two comic books in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Rob's probably read more of those probably in the last five years compared to my lifetime. <laughs> and, and I know Rob's the DC person between the two of us. Yep. So Rob, what are your thoughts coming coming from a very DC fan perspective of all this? So I am a, a DC fan for sure, but I'm not the biggest Superman fan. I, uh, Superman, I have no problem with him, but I've never really followed him to a great extent. You know, Much more I've been Batman... Green Lantern, I think I've mentioned on a previous episode. Uh, Blue Beetle? You know Blue Beetle, Zach? Of course I know Blue Beetle. Uh, okay. I don't that's know a if lie. Being that, true. that was a lie. <laughs> I was about to say, I don't know if that's being true or not. Blue Beetle is a DC character that had a very important death in uh, one of the big transitions of the DC comics. But no, yes, Zach's right. I've always been a DC fan. But like I said, not a Superman fan. And I think, like I said, I don't dislike Superman. The thing I disliked about this documentary, though, is that I feel that a certain chunk of it was just, hey, let's get everybody to pitch their idea for this Superman movie. Like, I feel at a certain point, it just became, how many ideas could they try and fit into this Nicolas Cage Superman movie? And they mentioned a lot of things that I know from the DC Comics that I really, really like. You know, they talk about like the menagerie and stuff like that, and they and they reference using Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh as the inspiration for some of these like LexCorp buildings and stuff like that. And uh, but it's just all over the place. This documentary has so many ideas in it. I feel like I got lost in the description. Were they thinking to put all of this in the movie? Or was this just every iteration of it thrown at us at high speeds? Well, that's that. I think that's the issue is that I don't think there ever was a final like because again, it didn't get made. This this was not like Yardarowski's Doom, where like it basically just needed the green light and funding. They're they're waiting for that. This was there never was a concrete version of the movie. Okay, okay. And I think that's that's one of the most difficult things with this. Is that how do you explain a film that never really even had a, a, a concrete script that everybody agreed upon? Yeah, that's a good point because in Jodorowsky's Dune, they talk a lot about having specific people cast to certain parts. And I feel in this documentary, they discuss more ideas of people. You know, they discuss the idea of, you know, Jimmy Olsen, who should play him, and what if he's black, and, you know, Chris Rock, Marlon Wayans, or Savian Glover. And so they don't they didn't have as much nailed down in this one. So I see what you're saying. Yeah, I think out of all the documentaries we talk about this November, this is the one where it's like, okay, we really do, we have the the least firm grasp on the final product because there Absolutely. there is no such thing because nobody agreed Absolutely. on what even the final product would even theoretically look like, never mind. And that's why you do have things like, and they talk about the fact that again, Kevin Spacey, oddly enough, was going to be Lex Luthor. Yeah. Christopher Walken was Brainiac. I forget who the third villain was. I, I think that's the weird thing with this, where like, I think Rob's not wrong, but it's like, oh, everybody's pitching their idea. It's like, no, these are different people that were involved with different stages of the production, and they're just recollecting what happened to them. 
instead of breaking this up into, oh, and they do that a little bit. They talk about the Kevin Smith. Like, that's where you kind of lose it because once Kevin Smith more or less walks away from the conversation, yeah. you lose – because obviously everybody who knows anything about geek culture knows Kevin Smith. And you can really – he's a very firm bookmark mm-hmm. in this whole movie because it's like, oh, Kevin Smith was going to do this. He was going to do that. And plus he – I think he's the best communicator out of all these. I think I, I, between Clerks and all of his films and his stand-up, I know he does podcasts. He's, he's a businessman. Kevin Smith definitely knows how to articulate oh, yeah. what, what he wants to say. Maybe not – he maybe can't translate that to his, his later films, even though I know Rob likes some of his later oh films. Oh, my God. We are going to do Tusk at some point on Cinemodities. We have to do Tusk movie. I fucking saw that movie in theaters. It's funny, that movie, people talked about that movie a lot when it came out, but it just, it more or less, it's kind of like Mother, it just dissipated from the conversation once it left theaters. Yeah, that's, that's state of movies, these, most movies these days, right? Yeah, that's unfortunate, but anyway yeah. though, so, once you kind of lose him, because they do, in the beginning of the film, they do say there's three drafts, They're like, oh, we have the Kevin Smith draft, we have the, mm-hmm. the second draft and the third draft, which are both uh, bookmarked by the other um, writers, because yeah. I know at one point they talk about how when Tim Burton was firing the second writer and it's like, Oh, but there's not like a, a clear break off point that there is when Kevin Smith gets. Cause I know Kevin Smith has the line saying like, Oh, you signed your own death warrant fat boy. And mm-hmm. that's more or less his Tim Burton got rid of him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think there's a quote somewhere saying that Kevin Smith had the line saying like, who do you go with the guy who made clerks, the guy who made you half a billion dollars on Batman. Yeah, exactly, and, and, and that's what boy. Like I said, obviously, uh, Kevin Smith was was an indie filmmaker at that point. Uh, so, so no, that's kind of where I wish they did give you because it's like, oh, you should you should have wrapped it up. Because at one point, the story transitions from, oh, we're working on this, we're doing costume test. Nicholas Cage is like wearing a Mickey Mouse T shirt and like an aqua like blazer, yeah. and then it's like, oh, next thing we know, it's in development hell. It's like, whoa, yeah, whoa, that's whoa, his, whoa. that's his Clark Kent, right? The blazer yeah. with the Mickey Mouse T shirt, Mickey Mouse T shirt. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, like, like that's 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 the weird thing with this though, because there is a lot of time spent on Tim Burton, which I think is kind of amazing. They got Tim Burton to sit down and talk about this. As long as he can wear sunglasses, he seems to be good. Yeah, but I don't know. Like Tim Burton's, like I don't like he, he's very media shy. He does not like the media. Oh, okay. so he must have. I know in the, the the podcast, the projection booth episode, they talk about trying to get Tim Burton, and they talk about like, oh, like we met with him once, and he kind of he really liked it. We were kind of like getting at, and so he agreed mm-hmm. to an interview, and he was really laid back after like the first like five ten minutes. He really basically answered any question we wanted to. At one thing, they like again in this podcast interview they're like oh in the bonus features we actually did a word association game with all tim burton's films and his filmography like but if you want to hear it you gotta you have to buy this special edition yeah they're like he gets really candid about some of his later films and it's like what is this like what are you (laughs) saying you're selling me the blu-ray version of the tmz like like, uh tabloid rag rags it's like get out of here um so yeah, that that's the weird thing with this, where it's like it transition, it, it transitions, and you really need a firm stop when you're going to do that with a film mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. But uh, but no, like I, I could some, um, okay, because because we want to get into like if so, okay, considering that we don't really have a firm grasp of what this movie was going to be about, 
I feel honestly, if this with what this documentary presented to me, if this movie existed, it would have been the fourteen-hour thing Jodorowsky was looking for. <laughs> it would have been just you know everything happens in the universe that could possibly happen to Superman. That's how many ideas they pitch, right? I I don't know because like like they talk about it later in the film. I think Kevin. It's funny when I was watching this. I never knew that John Peters was like one of the people behind Will Smith's Wild Wild West. So, and, yeah, that blew my mind as well. <laughs> We're going to have to talk about that more later. <laughs> but I think that's the thing with this where, like, as I was watching this, keeping it in mind with our, our thesis of November, mm-hmm. if this got made, would it be a cinematic? And yeah. I, you look at it, it like, I know at the very end of the film, they try to convince you, like, oh, this would have been like, you know, been a weird film. It would have been a interesting film which is what cinema is all about but as i was watching this and again there, there is elements or we, we'll break down some of them i can't I, this would be like a wild wild west P, like the star power of nicholas cage and the brand of superman would have carried this to doing like it's kind of like you look at the box office of wild wild west i think wild 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 west made a decent amount of money but compared to its budget it lost a lot i think it was like a 180 million dollar budget for like 1999 oh okay which is like like that's a, like a, a huge budget now never mind like 20 years ago sure so it's like oh god it's like i feel it been one of those where it's like it, it definitely would have been weird people would have seen it but we would not be talking about it it just be like oh it was this thing. It exists. Whatever. It, it, it would have been an anomaly, but nothing that like anybody wrote home about. Okay. Okay. See, I could, I, I could see that. Just because I feel like uh, too many cooks. There were too many cooks. It seems involved with this project, and too many iterations of it. That when it finally went through the Hollywood filter that requires movies to be released, it would have been like you said. Just a movie. It would have been mundane. It would have been tamed way down, and it just would have existed. And maybe I, I don't think this would have been mundane or tamed. I don't. I I think the closest thing we get to this is I think Wild Wild West. I think you get this really just think about it, you have this a two hundred million dollar western based off a TV show that nobody remembered twenty years ago, mm-hmm. and. You have like giant spiders. You have a villain with like half a body. <laughs> like you have this weird like low key racism throughout the film because it's taking place like post Civil War, but like yeah. like I think it in the been, South, yeah, in the South, you have like a Kevin Klein and Will Smith both trying to be the straight man. I I think you know they they're two completely if they if Superman returns or I'm sorry not Superman returns if Superman lives would have been made. I think it would have been two completely different movies. But I think okay. in the sense of just like. A cinematic, or at least I know that's one thing we've learned too. If you've listened to this podcast long enough, there is a very firm difference between what Rob thinks a cinematic idea is and what I do. True. I think I think like Rob needs it in the flesh. I just look. I can look at it on paper and be like, "Oh boy, this is going to be a thrill ride." But do you yeah. think? So are you saying that you think this? If Nicolas Cage was in this, while it would have been a different movie, of course, from Wild Wild West, do you think it would have still been as, as comedic as I don't lighthearted? Think it would have been at all. I don't. I. Really? I think it would, okay. I think it, it would be like I think Wild Wild West is not really a it's a not even a funny movie. There's jokes, but most of them don't land. Uh, and I think I, I guess I haven't seen Wild I haven't watched Wild Wild West in a really long time, so I don't remember. But I remember being fairly funny. 
It's supposed to be funny. Sure, I have to rewatch it. Maybe that'll come up, you know, in some rewatch. We do a rewatch series. Well, <laughs> All the things we've mentioned, we have to see again. <laughs> Wild Wild West is in the failed blockbusters category that grows leaps and bounds every day. Perfect. So, Perfect. maybe after we get to Tomorrowland, maybe we'll get to uh, Wild Wild West. <laughs> That's on the long short list. Yes, the very long <laughs> short list. So, I think, like again, a long-haired. Nicholas Cage Superman fighting mm-hmm. a Christopher Walken head in a jar brainiac. Sure. And this is also, think about Tim Burton. This is like right during, or maybe, like, this is a weird thing. I'm guessing it's right around Mars Attacks. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Late 90s, right? So, well, that's the weird thing. I think Mars Attacks was uh, 97. Yeah. Maybe Rob, yeah. Maybe Rob can fact check that unless uh, he knows he's right. I think that, oh my, that involves me typing something, doesn't it? Yes, it does. What? But- what? I think it's 97, which is yeah, right I when quit. this film was supposed to come out. I quit. I quit this podcast, Zach. <laughs> I'm curious though, because I think that's 97. That's gonna definitely because again, this was supposed to be in 96. production. 96. 96. So this was probably right. Right. Burton was probably prepping this while he was oh, probably working. Oh, it on. was. It was December 96, though. So that's basically, technically, virtually 97. So he might have been prepping both of these. He might have been working on these simultaneously. I don't know. Uh, they mention so, it in the documentary, though, where they mentioned Mars Attacks a few times. I, I can't remember in what context specifically, though, right? Yeah, they mention it because it's that same time. Like I said, we don't have a concrete date for all this. That's the weird thing. I think yeah. it's, I think it's I, this might be after Mars Attacks. I think this is after Mars Attacks now that I think about it. So you look at where Burton is as a filmmaker, because anything that has like, that's the reason why this film probably was in production for so long. Mm-hmm. You got Nicolas Cage that just like at this point, Nicolas Cage wasn't a joke. Yeah. You got Tim Burton that again, you know, Mars Attacks was a little bit of a, well, it was, it was, it was a, a commercial and a critical uh, bomb. <laughs> you, you still, he still has clout. He is the Tim Burton. I am so torn on whether or not to include clips of Mars Attacks, because that goddamn noise is so fucking annoying. Well, well, folks, we'll... (laughs) Right? That's the worst noise. That's the goddamn Dumb and Dumber noise. Hey. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Well, that's the whole point of that movie, though. Most people, like, like there, there, there's a point to that movie that, that goes over most people's heads. Uh, but I think... I don't think, think I've seen that, that in, in over, like, 15 years. <laughs> I saw that a couple of years ago, and I didn't like it until I read some um, analysis of it, and it made sense. Okay. That's a film where you need, it needs to be explained to you before you see it in order to appreciate it. <laughs> if we ever do an episode on that, I'm going to make that noise constantly. That'll be Ron's entire speaking sad. voice throughout the entire episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh if you search your podcast settings, there's a segment, there's a, a setting for the uh, Tangerine Reef where you'll hear Rob do the entire episode in that voice. <laughs> the Mars Attacks commentary, yes. <laughs> yes. No, it's a dub. It's not even a commentary. It's a oh, dub. Okay, the Mars Attacks dub. Yes. Okay, perfect. <laughs> uh, so I think coming this coming after... Mars Attacks definitely would inform you about what Burton's mindset was. Because mm-hmm. I think after Mars Attacks, he, I don't know if he does another... Does I guess he does... Does, does he do any films in 99? i got to look that up right now. 
But I don't think he... I know in 2001 he does Planet of the Apes, the remake. Yeah, Corpse Bride was much later, right? That's 2005. 2005, yes. Okay. That's the one I remember. In between those two, he does Big Fish. Oh! How could I forget Big Fish? Have we ever talked about Big Fish on this podcast, Zach? No. One of my favorite movies of all time. That does not surprise me. We're going to do... that. That's on my list, I'm pretty sure, in our uh, in our spreadsheet. All right, between between Mars Attacks... Sandra Templeton, I love you and I will marry you. Sandra Templeton, I love you and I will marry you. <laughs> I just got hit with so much battery acid, it's unbelievable, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. But no, between Mars Attacks and Planet of the Apes, we get um, From Hell. I'm not From Hell, from Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow. Ah, okay, okay. Yes. Another Johnny Depp film. Mm. Uh, which I don't know if that made any money, but clearly that that is Burton going back to his wheelhouse. Sure. All right, had a $100 million budget and it grossed 200 worldwide. So it, it made a profit. Maybe not in theaters, but it definitely made a profit. So I think that's you have Burton coming off coming off Mars Attacks. He's very he's cynical. He's jaded by the system. You have a Nicolas Cage Superman that's very different and outside the norm. Like we talk about now, like we have Henry Cavill as Superman, and he's homicidal, breaking people's necks and inflicting nine eleven <laughs> on on Metropolis. <laughs> and I don't know because I know there's a couple points again. They also don't really do a good job of laying out what the plot of this even even like like a plot beat because i know they're like oh uh he's nervous about lois lane like like he's afraid if he impregnates her the baby will like pull an alien on her and like punch out of her like womb that's what i'm saying like it's just it's just shotguns of ideas in this documentary i'm with you i don't i have no idea what a plot could even be it seems like they just pitched major idea after major idea I don't think there would have been a plot for this. I think this would have been very... Think of also what superhero movies were like in this time. Blade still wasn't out, so Marvel really wasn't even on the... Marvel was not on the board. On the board. Okay, okay. You had Spawn. I don't even know if Spawn was out by this time. But you yeah, had more or less... You had Schumacher. Yeah. Schumacher was really the... the that sort of aesthetic was really what was popular. The neon. Yeah, he the, was the spearhead the of DC at that point. Yeah, it was the black. It was the black light mixed with some gothic elements left over from the the Keaton Batman era. So I think you you put that sort of mentality where I think the infamous quote from Joel Schumacher was, "They're not drama books; they're comic books." <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I, I I think that's what I like. This would have been probably the first attempt at making like a grounded superhero movie. Hmm. Especially with the character. I think that's the weirdest thing. That, it's, this is one thing that's shown in this, is that Warner Brothers to this day does not understand, or I guess Warner Brothers of, of the current, of the last modern Warner Brothers, to this day still does not understand what Superman is and how to convey that to the public. Uh, I have to agree. I don't think there's been a successful Superman other than Smallville. There's I was the say first Donner. The first few seasons of Smallville I really enjoyed, but of course that is not Superman, that is young Superman, like when he's growing up to be, you know, Superman, well, before he brooding. has everything. He's brooding yeah. through all that. Yeah, yeah, and I, uh, I, but I felt, I, I liked that for some for some reason. But the I first think that, ones were, I appreciated those as well, of course. 
But I think that's why you get something like like Superman Lives, and you eventually get elements of Superman Returns are like that. But okay. you also get Henry Cavill where he's just moping. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it is. I think they feel a happy-go-lucky character just cannot work. Yeah. People don't, people don't want to see that. And plus, it's really hard. to Superman is an incredibly hard character to do because he's essentially a god. So nothing can stop him if he puts his mind to it. Mm-hmm. Yet, how do you bring him down to our level? And they mentioned it in this. I think, I forget who it was. It might have been Tim Burton that mentions it. Or someone said Tim Burton brought something in those that Superman's the only superhero, whereas, or his human identity is his alter ego. Yeah, he's not of this earth. Yep. And I think that might be the key to unlocking Superman. And I think you definitely see that in Man of Steel. Okay. And they, and unfortunately, they, they, um, the relief they have for that level of angst is done through him just murdering people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's through physical. It's through physical frustration. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, human life loss and property damage. Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's why you see that Warner Brothers just really can't put their mind to it because they they only see the Smallville version of the character. Because even if you look at uh, Hack Snyder's Man of Steel, they get they got rid of the red underpants that even in this they complained about. Yeah, yeah, that was a big point of this documentary for a good bit. Yep. And that's, I think, the most interesting thing because, like, they in the projection booth episode, they the interviewer asked John Schnapp, and they're like, "Would you if, if this movie got made today in whatever medium, animation, whatever, or, or live action, would you go mm. see it?" And his whole thing was, I don't think this film would ever get made. Like, there's no, <laughs> there's no possible incarnation of this film. Okay. And like, like Rob said, there's no story here. And you think about like Batman Forever and Batman Robin. There's no story there either. Like, like it's the thinnest of plots. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I think that's kind of the, the the issue with with something like this is that I don't think there would have been a plot. I, I the vibe I get from this. Is it feels very Spider-Man three esque in the sense okay. that you have a very angsty hero. He's having uh, relationship problems. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know how to propose to his girlfriend because he's afraid what sort of effect uh, a relationship will have. Mm, spider on, babies. Well, yeah, that's gonna tell me. <laughs> I think that would have been Spider-Man four with, with Sam Raimi. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but no, I get that vibe because even like the fight they, they mentioned the fight in in this where he had been fighting like Brain. I think it, I think it's Brainiac. Maybe it's Lex, Lex Luthor. I forget. And they say like, oh, Superman's just kind of like he's worn out. He's beaten before the fight even begins. And that's the vibe I get from the Spider-Man three. Black suit Spider-Man versus uh, what was his name? Thomas Hayden Church Sandman. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of vibe I get where it's like, okay, you have a okay. hero whose inner turmoil is defeating who has de- that has defeated them before the battle even has begun. Sure. And I think I think if there ever was a director that would be fun to watch them interpret something like that, it would be Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Not Tim Burton. Um, <laughs> Tim Burton didn't make this film, but. <laughs> I think that's the weird thing. I, I, Superman is inherently a, a pulpy, fun, rich character. Yeah. He's bright. And I think I, I, I think Rob still hasn't seen the new Justice League movie. I think that's the ultimate travesty now that that entire cinematic universe fell apart with that film. 
was that at the end of Justice League, we finally get our happy-go-lucky Superman. We finally oh. get the guy who's like, gee willikers, guys, I can't wait to stop bad guys with you some other day. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the problem. It's like, oh, wait, they finally got Superman right after, like, <laughs> tw- God, since, like, Superman 2, I guess, what was it, the original Zod? It's like, yeah. it's like they finally get the character right after, like, close to 40 years. Okay. And it's like, and guess what? By that point, they burned all their bridges with audiences, and the audience said, no, we're not, you're not going to sit there trick us, trick any more money out of us. What about with another Wonder Woman? Oh, well, that that's coming hell or high water. Thank God. <laughs> and we're getting Aquaman that looks like Avatar 2. That's not Wonder Woman. That's not Wonder Woman. I only want Wonder Woman. But we're getting Shazam. We're getting Suicide Squad 2. That's not going to have anything in common with Suicide Squad 1. You're not telling me Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. That, doesn't, that got pushed back. That's not coming out now until like May of 2020. Oh, well, that sucks. Wonder Woman in 2020. I want it in like two months. It wasn't coming. I think it was coming out next to, next November, and it got pushed back. Boo! No Wonder Woman. They're doing a disservice to the Wonder Woman. Oh, that's right. Wonder Woman's in this. Wonder Woman has so much makeup on in this movie. She's Wonder Woman. She's a wonder. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Oh, Wonder Woman! Because she's goddamn Wonder Woman, that's how. She's fucking Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman! Wonder Woman! Wonder Woman! Wonder Woman! Wonder Woman! Wonder Woman! But, yeah, I think that's that's the thing with this film, though. I think if it got made, the the inertia of the brand, and just Nicholas K- I think it would just been people... Like, I don't think it would have gotten good reviews. It would be in that... I think it... Because... You look at I, this probably considering that John Peters right after this moved on to Wild Wild West. Mm-hmm. I think this probably would have come out the summer of 1999. Yep. So 1999 was a huge year for movies. You have The Matrix. You have Star Wars. You have Austin Powers. Oh wow! Uh, Eyes Wide Shut. You have like this summer, even though um, Matrix was April, but you have this like three or four month span where just like pop culture blockbuster films are just so rich mm-hmm. that something like a wild wild west where like if that came out today people would be like oh my god what is this <laughs> like, like, it'd be, like it'd be like the lone ranger it would have been like that like who dumps 200 million dollars into a film like this you know you're not gonna make your money back <laughs> yeah and i think in that summer where you do get again like i said the, the phantom menace just sucks the air out of the, out of the, the your sure. star wars you have the Matrix, which is revolutionary for a multitude of reasons that to this day we're still kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. You have Austin Powers, which was more of a late '90s, early 2000s fad. I, mm-hmm. I, I guess it was it was the Borat of its time. Yeah, okay. And you have things like, again. You have Stanley. You have the last Stanley Kubrick film. To this day, we still talk about Eyes Wide Shut and whether how much involvement did Stanley Kubrick have in the final edit of that film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you put this in that summer, which it would have definitely gone to, probably would have been a July, July, maybe, eh, June or July release. Probably the, the, the Wild I don't think if this film gets made, you get Wild Wild West. Okay. Don't think you get that at all. Yeah, it, it seems like a lot of people left this production for Wild West. They make that point near the end of this film. When yeah. Will Smith signed on, signed on to it, yeah. Well, yeah, because you have... Um, it's basically the Warner Brothers production crew. It's not like a Yodorowsky where it was just independent yeah. people. A team so he you, formed, it was actually an established, you know, development 
project yeah, side. It's, it's Warner Brothers. It's the concept artists, yeah. special effects technicians. So it's just, okay, one project gets shut down, you get put on the next one. It's, it's mm-hmm. just the way things work. One project goes, another one go, comes in. And I think that's that's where you don't get that film. This film would have, I think, is a cultural touchstone. It would have went right into that slot. Probably would have made the same amount of money, maybe a little bit more for that. For the fe- okay. It's the first Superman movie in, in how many years? Yeah, that's a good point. It probably would have made a nice amount of money on home. This was back when home video made you a ton of money. <laughs> between blockbuster vhs dvds i think it would have made them a nice amount of money i, I not like huge just this wouldn't have been a, a, a barn burner but mm-hmm. it would have made them money in probably at the very least the the long term probably in the short term probably would have broken even probably within the first year or so if it was a disaster and i think we'd be we'd be talking about it probably the same way we talk about batman and robin it'd just be like oh god okay maybe it would be it would be lumped into all those into that era of of 90s superhero films where it's like oh they didn't know what they were doing it's clearly a transition point from i I guess richard donner christopher reeve superman to what we get with chris with uh, christopher nolan and the idea that everything has to be grounded Everything has to be entrenched in reality and how Marvel kind of flirts with the edge of that where it's like, okay, let's see how far off the reservation we can get without alienating people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I I think that's kind of where this, this would end up. I I, I don't see this being any sort of like, like a, Oh my God, this is the, uh, I'm I'm trying to think what's the most like, uh, blockbuster we can think of. Mm. Uh, the most successful cinemati where it's like it's all it's, it's, it's a cinematic oddity but yet somehow it clicked with mass audiences man that's a good question that's I'm a to think. good question i want to say freddy got fingered <laughs> wow. yeah, we hope that connected with mass audience that's mass audience right there <laughs> another universe right now that has the same gross that avatar has worldwide yeah that's uh that's the universe or timeline we should be living in. No, that's a great question, Zach. I, I totally see what you're saying. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I have to kind of think of the same parallel, maybe not in terms of a, a cinemodity's blockbuster, but I thought of this in terms of, you know, a cinemodity that could have been with Tim Burton directing it. And I don't know if I think any of the other Tim Burton superhero movies would be cinemodities, to be honest. So I can't really think that this would be a cinemodity if he had, uh, you know, spearheaded it in the way he wanted to. I, 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 that's the weird thing about Tim Burton, though, is that Tim Burton's another one that's kind of like, he's very successful. Well, he, he's, he's hit or miss, but mm-hmm. yeah, he, for yeah, a while I, he was consistently, he was consistently making everybody money. But I think the thing with him though is that like he does like he'll do a like Planet of the Apes remake. I think that film has the title of being the most successful film to ever not get a sequel. Okay. Like the that, that movie made them legitimate money. Like that was not like a, oh we just skirted by breaking. Mm-hmm. That film made them a healthy profit. If sure. they I think that was 20th Century Fox. They read the tea leaves and they're like, "Oh crap! People did not like this. Let's <laughs> let's it's like, it's like take the money and run." And sure. You didn't, you didn't get another one of those movies for another ten years until you got the James Franco Rise of the Planet of the Apes series. Okay. Okay. And I think that's the weird thing with with Tim Burton is that like people like clearly his movies resonate with people. 
Mm-hmm. As, as Rob and I infamously know from the time we saw Alice in Wonderland in theaters. Oh my god, I hate that movie. And yet Rob <laughs> dragged me to it. I said, this movie looks awful. It oh. looks bad. He's like, we have to see it. Didn't isn't didn't we sneak into that? Should I admit that on recording? Didn't we no, sneak we into were, that movie? We were going to for the 3D or whatever. Because that was like right during the 3D boom. Yeah. Post-Avatar. I guess during Avatar, I guess. Because Avatar was still in theaters when that came out. And we were talking about doing that, and I think we just conceded going to like the regular showing. Oh, okay. That was that's, that. Yeah, that sucked. That movie was terrible. That that might be. You know what? That's up there with like the Friday the Thirteenth remake when it comes to uh, perhaps like the forming blocks of the Cinemonics podcast. Where <laughs> it's like it? this. This was a Cinemonics. <laughs> At the end of the movie, didn't Johnny Depp? Breakdance as the Mad Hatter, and some kid in the audience was like, "That's cool," and I shouted out, "I disagree," or something like that. Didn't that happen? <laughs> that did happen. What well, I can still remember that moment to this day. <laughs> I remember. I remember a lot. Is that what that it was? was? Do you remember what we said or what yeah. was said? The, what happens was in that film. We're getting off topic now, but at the end <laughs> of that film, out of nowhere, I can still remember that. I remember sitting in the theater, like they 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 defeat the the dragon. Helen the bomb Carter's like decapitated or whatever mm-hmm. and and they're like yay we did it and out of nowhere johnny depp just starts like it, it's all like it's not even real break dancing it's like cgi and oh, yeah. like break dancing yeah, his head's and, like spinning around like full 360 degrees at one point i think yes and like you have like and this is going on and like, i had no like in our theater it was a crowded theater i think we saw the day it came out Oh, God, what were we doing with our lives? You wanted to see... I want this on record, everybody. I did not want to see this. I remember because I remember there was... An, Sal got real mad at me because he wanted to see that. And I told him no. And Rob's like, I'll pay for the tickets. Or like, my mom will pay for the tickets. And I'm like, whatever. My favorite flavor is free. So... Everybody I, I, in the audience should know that Zach and I have been torturing each other long before this podcast started. Yes. So we base. So I remember that happens though. He starts break dancing. A crowd theater just, I mean, like erupted into laughter. Erupted, and like at, at right. I, I remember I was so confused. I looked over to Rob, and Rob did one of his like, like just shrugged his shoulders. It was like I have no idea. Didn't say a word, but it was like I have no idea what's going on. As the laughter starts to die down, some kid near us says, like Rob said. That was funny. And Rob says, and like, he didn't yell it, but like his normal voice, at this point, the audience is more or less died down. And he's like, I disagree. <laughs> and I, that's like, that movie is so, like, the only other memory I have from that movie was we got there really, like, insanely early for that. As we always did for movies back in the day, right? Yeah. And because we had to catch the 20. Of course, of course, the twenty, the Gladys, the Gladys. <laughs> oh God, that's another throwback. Um, but I remember the only thing I remember from that was there. There was trivia, and they back when they used to do trivia. There was a girl. It's like this movie stars Leonardo DiCaprio on an island trying to figure out what's going on. And the first time this happened, like everybody was in the theater, and like like as you know, what movie trivia. They tell you what the answer is. Oh, yeah. But because we were there, like, whoever, this girl was not there, obviously, with us. She was with somebody, a group of other people. And so the trivia recycled and started going, starting over again. 
and we everybody knew the answer at this point. <laughs> and so we're watching, and they ask the question. She's like, Shutter Island! <laughs> like, and so to this day, like, this is like a, a Rob level. This is another Rob. This is my version of a Robism. Much like every single time a movie starts, I have to say, this isn't the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> Anytime there is movie trivia, my first answer is Shutter Island. That's great, Zach. I literally, every time I go to see a movie, the first thing I think of when the lights go down is this is not the Da Vinci Code. That's never going to leave me. Like when I'm Alzheimer's ridden years from now, <laughs> I'm going to be screaming in my wheelchair, this isn't the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 classic cinema audience right there, folks. Shutter Island. <laughs> so, Rob, what would you think of Nicolas Cage as Superman? That's a good question. Um, I'm not against it. You know, I I believe at the beginning of this documentary they showed some people like maybe interviewed at a at a con or of some sort, and a lot of people said they didn't see it as super Superman being Nick Cage. I wouldn't mind it. Honestly, I think I take the stance that some of the creators that they interview or people that were involved in the creation of this movie, that it's a different take. And I would be okay with that. What do you think? No. Absolutely no. not. No. No. You, don't, I, you I, think Nicolas Cage is too specific? No. Not that – nothing against Nicolas Cage. Well, I guess it's, I guess it's nothing <laughs> against his acting prowess. I think it's – Superman needs to be matinee idol level pretty. You think so? Yes. You can. Uh, the whole point is Superman is meant to look, be pretty to a certain degree or, or handsome. He has to be handsome to some degree. He has to be aesthetically pleasing. And nothing against Nicolas Cage, but a, a Nicolas Cage with uh, majestic locks in that even, you know, I like Nicolas Cage as an actor. The kind of dumb look he has on his face for most of his movies. Yeah. That ain't Superman. Okay. See, I, I I see where you're coming from, but I guess I don't feel that same connection to a handsome Superman. You know, if David Lynch had wanted to combine the S Superman and the Elephant Man, I would have been all for it. Oh, my God. As far as I'm concerned, Superman can be as disfigured as he wants. If he's shooting laser beams out of his eyes and saving the world, who cares? If he's so disfigured, what happens if, like, he has folds growing over his eyes and he's, like, burns through himself? That's this is part of the job. <laughs> yeah, no, I cannot get on board with it. Okay. I don't, especially some of the stuff they show in this, where it was, oh look, he's wearing a Mickey Mouse T-shirt with like an aqua-colored blazer. It's like mm -hmm. that. That's a little that's, too goofy. A little too goofy. I think that's pushing the edge just for the sake of let's just see. How, it's it's the Joel Schumacher thing. Let's just see how far we can push this until somebody reins us back in. That's fair. That's fair. And, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I feel like that's why I'm a little excited. I would be excited to see it because it is pushing that envelope. Because I think I've said before, I like the Joel Schumacher, you know, super nonsense that is those Batman movies. <laughs> Like they're definitely interesting in their own right, but I don't think they are meant to be uh, beholden to the source material by any means. Uh, yeah, I agree with you there. And so who knows? If we had it, you know, really, Nicolas Cage is Superman? I, I don't know. I, I find it hard-pressed to think that that's far off from reality right now. I could see people believing that and buying into it. <laughs> I th Like I said, I think... 
if you were to create, I think nowadays, if mm-hmm. you were to pitch this as like an, I don't know, like like an alternate universe or kind of okay. like that that Joaquin J- Phoenix Joker movie. I'm not sure you've heard <laughs> about that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. Like if you were to pitch that, like I think because there was a story going around that Nicolas Cage is like, oh, I'm too old now to play Superman. Mm. And a friend of the Knights of Vader show, Eric, was like, it's like, why not just do this, what they're doing with Joaquin Phoenix, do that with Nicolas Cage as Superman. Okay. Like, in the, in the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie world, why can't his Superman, or why can't the Superman be in that world, the Nicolas Cage Superman? That's a good point. And I think that's how you get something like this. The problem is that no yeah. one will ever pay to go see that. Like, a Nicolas Cage Superman is not going to sell you any tickets. Yeah, Unlo- in the grand scheme of superhero movies, that would not make an impact today. No, you'd have you'd have to sell it on its on, on uh, a concept more. Like, mm-hmm. like as we like we kind of talked about, it, I thought about it a little during our extended break that you shouldn't know about. So shh. But <laughs> I was thinking about the most like kind of bizarre box office success in recent years. Sure. And the last one I can think of would be I guess Guardians of the Galaxy. Ah, that's a okay. That's a good you, one. You got green people. You got a talking raccoon voiced talk by Bradley Cooper. Eight, well, you have a tree that can only say three words voiced by Vin Diesel. But it talks. But it talks. And you got the guy from Parks and Rec. Mm. I mm. think I think that's the most bizarre. I mean, though, it does the Marvel thing, which I hate, where it's like, oh, look. Look how crazy this is. We have yeah. a talking tree. Like, don't make fun of us. We know how, like, the whole point of these movies is like, oh, they point the finger at themselves. They're the first ones to make fun of themselves so nobody else can do it. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think, I don't think, I think Tim Burton is vehemently against anybody laughing at what he does. (laughs) Yeah, I could see that. So it's like Tim Burton is incapable of making Guardians of the Galaxy. the The way that it exists right now. Absolutely. So... I don't think that can you make an irreverent Superman? Like, is that, is that such a thing? If there's anyone who could do it, it would be him. Right. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. I think, I no? think the evolution of Tim Burton is a James Gunn. Really? I think that's the evolution where you have an offbeat guy. And don't get me wrong. I think Tim Burton is immensely more wholesome and sure. family friendly than Tim, mm-hmm. or the Tim Gunn, than James Gunn is as, as we've learned. Yep. I'm pretty sure uh, Tim Burton doesn't hang around with uh, convicted pedophiles. Okay. But I think James Gunn's one of those people just like, okay, I, I have a unique vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know how to convey that to the studio without them getting scared. And I think that's okay. what Tim Burton was able to do in the late 80s and early 90s. But not by the he- time he was looking to pitch Superman. Well, I think Mars Attacks is that dilemma of like, okay – Burton is burned out mm-hmm. and he's cynical. He's being really jaded and it's like, okay, they, nobody understood what I was doing with Mars attack. So I'm being forced against my will to go back two, three steps to the superhero. Well, uh, and I'm going, I'm going to sit there and do this. I'm going to make a offbeat, uh, Superman that no one's really going to appreciate. Who's an outsider, which again, every, okay. Tim, Bur- every Tim Burton movie is about an outsider. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and you know, that works for Superman. Superman's whole identity is I'm an outsider, yet I'm going to turn that one thing that makes me such an outsider, I'm going to make that into the, the beacon of mankind. 
Mm-hmm. Where Tim Burton is the exact opposite. And it's where I am so uh, uh, opposite of what humanity is. I'm going to keep that as, as what's the word, closeted as humanly possible yeah. until, an, until an offbeat char- group of characters brings it out in front of the town. And that, you know, that's, that's a microcosm of what Superman is. Mm-hmm. I don't think Tim Burton can make a movie where humanity accepts his creation in the sense of uh, the outside. The, the, the humanity accepts the outsider. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. And But at the same time, I feel like that is the Superman movie that I am interested in seeing. Right? But, but, at this, but people don't like the brooding Superman. Yes, you know, and, and that's fair. That is not anything for the masses, of course. It's just a, it's a different take that, you know, would be interesting to look at, but only for a niche part of the, of the population. Yes, and there is an audience for that because mm-hmm. clearly Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and Justice League all made money. Yep. It's just the fact that they cost too much money to make. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, think you, I, th- I think if you if you were uh, – let's just say for the sake of argument, well, let's say Tim Burton's nostalgic or whatever there is. Let's just say there's, there's some sort of existential force that's like how do you get this done? If they can make a $50 million Superman movie – which I think he could. I think if Tim Burton was willing to uh, say, "Okay, I'm going to put myself to the test, mm-hmm. and I'm going to I'm going to try to make something that is stripped down as humanly possible," yeah, I th- I think he could do that. I think it would be a great way to reinvent himself. I, I think if Tim Burton wanted a challenge, except the fact I don't think Tim Burton wants a challenge. <laughs> I don't think Nicolas Cage wants a challenge. I think Nicolas Cage loves being his little wheelhouse of crazy. Yeah. And he, he doesn't want to scream go on. on the toilet like in Mandy. Well, that's the and if there ever was firmly in the middle of the wheelhouse, that was it. With <laughs> yep. toilets in the middle of the wheelhouse. <laughs> but I think that's how you do it. I think I, I don't know. It's it, I think it can be done. I don't think this movie is definitely out impossible to make. But I think the forces that would lead to its creation, someone would be like, no. No, I'm, Tim Burton's like I'm not working on this movie with, with at, at the very least 150 million dollar budget. Because mm-hmm. think about it, Tim Burton's making Dumbo, he's making mm-hmm. the live action Dumbo. Oh wow! If, When's if, that if, supposed to come out? I think next April. Oh shit! Well, it's okay, like, let's let's go see it opening night. Let's do it, Zach. Oh god, no, nothing. I guess it's so. Like you talk about like how after Mars attacks, Burton was forced back into the corner. With like mm-hmm. doing another comic book movie to kind of like regroup his image. Yeah, this is the exact same thing. It's like okay, the last few Tim Burton movies haven't made a lot of money. So, so what, what does Tim he, Burton what do? What did he do? Was that movie nine or whatever wasn't that one of his movies? No, that no. He had, the last movie I'm trying to think that he uh, was involved with. Yeah, was, what was it? Okay, these are these are the last of uh, the last five years for Tim Burton. Sure. He did uh, Dumbo comes out next year, and he hasn't had a movie come out since 2016, and that was Mrs. Pennegreen's Home for uh, Peculiar Children. Okay. Then before that, he had Big Eyes mm. with Amy Adams. Oh yeah, I remember that movie now. Then before that, it was Frank and Weenie, which I absolutely adored. Okay. Then Dark Shadows with Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. Then before that was Alice in Wonderland. Ah, gotcha. He was a producer on Nine. You are oh, correct. Okay. He was a producer. I, yeah, I remember his name being on that, but yeah, not as director, uh, apparently. So, okay, okay. So, if you look at it, like, 
he's been more or less in the Disney wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Except for Mrs. Pentagreen, which I don't think made any money. I yeah, I didn't see, I don't think I saw any of the ones on your list other than Alice in Wonderland with you. <laughs> yeah, Pen- Mrs. Pentagreen had a budget of 110 million dollars in gross th- a little less than 300 worldwide. Okay. So it probably just broke even. Sure. Just broke even. So clearly that that's that's a, that's an L for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Frank and Weenie, I know, I know Frank and Weenie got they promoted the hell out of Frank and Weenie. I didn't make any money. I did not see that. I love that movie. If, okay. if you're listening to this, go see the 2012 Frank and Weenie. It's adorable. Um, Big Eyes cost 10 million. It only okay. grossed 30 million worldwide. So again, barely probably broke even. That was about the woman who painted, but the husband took credit, yeah. right? Okay. Um, Frank and Weenie, I know, was a loss. Think Tim Burton's in the red is what we're saying. Well, Frank and Weenie cost forty million, only grossed eighty, so that was a definite. They lost money. Tim Burton's so far in the red it hurts. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, really. I know Dark Shadows didn't. So really, the last box office, like genuine box office success that he had was Alice in Wonderland, which okay. I think, which I think cost. Uh, let me see. Alice in Wonderland. I know it made over a billion because it got caught in the 3D wave. Yeah, it cost 200 million. Uh, it's 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 a range, 150 to 200. So nobody knows. And it made a billion, so it, it made a healthy, healthy profit. Sure. sure. And that's what happened. He, he for a decade, Tim Burton went and just did his own thing. Um, Frankie Weenie was his, I think, his payment. Well, unofficial payment for for making them so much money with Alice in Wonderland. Sure. And yeah, and after that, it was kind of like he he did a couple of passion projects, big eyes. I think Mrs. Pentagreen was meant for to be a franchise, and I think that bombed uh, out. Gotcha. So yeah, Dumbo is very clearly him trying to uh, build up some cred. Okay, okay. So we're gonna go see that. Is what we're saying? No, absolutely not. We're not. Disney is. Cre- it's funny. I tell people <laughs> that this weekend, the the nut. Have you seen the, the previews for the Nutcracker movie? No. Okay, there's a Nutcracker movie. Oh my god! That looks like the spiritual successor to Alice in Wonderland. Oh, it's called like Nutcracker in the Four Witches of the East Broom or whatever it is. It's some stupid (laughs) name like that. (laughs) What? And look it up. It's a real thing. And it star it stars the the Matthew McConaughey's daughter from Interstellar, not Jessica Chastain. Mm. It's like Morgan Freeman and like it looks like it it looks like a Tim Burton directed Chronicles of Narnia. But it's not it, directed by Tim Burton? No, it has nothing to do with Tim Burton, but clearly it's in that style. Sure. And why I tell people is this is what creativity looks like from a company that's creatively bankrupt. <laughs> okay, okay. That's so, we're going to, so we're going to see that this weekend. Uh, oh my, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, Zach, do not. Is, Zach and I are flying across the country to meet each other halfway and go see this movie. <laughs> we're meeting in Chicago right now. Yeah, we're gonna record the episode on it from the parking lot. <laughs> oh my god! But yeah, so like that's that's the weird thing with Tim Burton. It's like clearly Tim Burton has to make someone a lot of money, and then he's given pet project money. Yeah, he's given some leeway. I see what you're saying. Yeah, and I think okay. that's where it's like, oh, he makes Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, so then he has enough clout to go get Corpse Bride made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is weird, considering the fact that we worship. It's, I think I think the reason why Corpse Bride got made was because Tim Burton was tired of having to explain to people wh- that he wasn't the one who made that movie. 
Oh, okay. And it's like, oh, everybody thinks I made Nightmare Before Christmas. And it's like, oh, crap, I need to say that I at least directed one stop-motion animated film. So it's like, okay, there you go. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's like, I need something high-profile mm. because nobody talks about Cor- Like, outside when Corpse Bride airs, like, twice a year on, like, ABC Family, mm-hmm. nobody talks about Corpse Bride as a movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like Corpse Bride, but it's so short. I remember I'm always disappointed how short it is. It's like a short film more than a movie, I think. It's like 70 minutes. Yeah, but it goes by... So quick, I don't know. It, 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 I, I enjoy the story, but you know, it's, it's. I have some problems with it. You know, it's no Nightmare Before Christmas, of course. Yeah, it's seventy-seven minutes long. Oh Jesus! I would have guessed fifty-seven minutes. But yeah, and I think that's kind of what it comes down to with him, because again, it, it's interesting. You look at okay. his thing, because yeah, I think that's because he made in the nineties. Tim Burton made obviously Edward Scissorhands. Mm-hmm. That was right after Batman. Yep. It's funny, from like 88 to 1994, he was kind of like, he has Beetlejuice in 88, Batman Mm -hmm. 89, 90 is Edward Scissorhands, 92 is Batman Returns, 93 is when he produced Nightmare Before Christmas, 94 is Ed Wood, and uh, 96 is Mars Attacks. So Mars Attacks was really his first sting of failure. In like oh, like a decade. Okay, yeah, that's a good point for sure. And you look at that right after Mars Attacks is uh, Sleepy Hollow, which made money but not much. I don't think I ever saw that. I know people. I remember people talk to me about that. People like that movie, but okay. it's just okay. it's just like it's more. I think people see that more as a Johnny Depp film. Ah, uh, gotcha. Then then they do a uh, like I said, people don't talk about. It. It's kind of in that same camp as Corpse Bride, mm-hmm. where it's. It's 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 there. People yeah. like people like it, but it's clearly not anybody. It's not like, oh, what are we watching this Holloway, Holloway <laughs> season? We're watching Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, no, I think I think the biggest thing it's like anything in life. If Tim Burton wanted to get this made, he probably could have put enough energy into it. Or somebody clearly in Hollywood, it all comes back to um, uh, inertia. It's like if somebody yeah. wants to put enough effort into this. It will get made if somebody if somebody within power wants to exert clout. Yep. Except the problem is that nobody ever wants to exert clout in Hollywood, mm-hmm. unless they really want to, which is rare. With that being said, Rob, we've kind of talked about the cinematic status, but it, but the, you didn't really care for the documentary, right? No, I, like I said, I think at the start, it kind of lost me. I was really intrigued at the start when Kevin Smith was in there. We were kind of getting stories from different tr- perspectives, uh, a different you know, kind of stepping stones and making this movie, but then it loses me at a certain point when it's just like, here's every idea we could possibly think of for a Superman movie. So no, I didn't care for it uh, as time went on. What do you think of John Schnepp by any chance? That he's the guy who is the kind of interviewer in all these aspects, right? Yes. I felt that it was weird for a while because I feel like in some interviews he was just sitting there and he wasn't saying anything. Like, you know, of course he had asked them questions, but I feel like in some scenes his question was cut out and we were just seeing the response. But we got to see him talk a lot to Tim Burton. Like, that, I think, was the biggest point where I I saw him. I didn't really dislike him. I thought he was a little too enthusiastic for me, if if you can imagine that that is a possibility. 
possibility, Zach. <laughs> Someone could be too enthusiastic for me. Well, the thing about I, I've I wasn't aware of who John Schnepp was before when this came out. Okay, I was but, not aware of him prior to this as, as well. I should say. Well, when I first saw this back, or I, when I first heard about this, I didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. But since, but before I saw this documentary, but after I knew it existed. He was a, I'm not sure, Rob, I don't know how much Rob is plugging to this, but like the AMC, like Jedi Council and AMC movie talk, like one of those, like, re- like I don't think Rob's in this world, but like the not really pretentious all. movie YouTube people. Not at all. <laughs> he was one, he, he, he was one of those. If it, so I, I, I don't oh, know, probably, okay. if Porg Knight, if you're listening, you probably know what I'm talking about. <laughs> all right, Rob, anything else about this documentary before I ask you my final two questions? No, no, I think we talked about our, our November version of the Cinemodities. I think I explained it as best as I as explained my thoughts on this documentary and the potential movie as best as I could. So yeah, Zach, I'm ready for these, these final questions. Throw them at me. All right. Clearly, this is a Tim Burton film. Mm-hmm. So what roles would Helen Bonham Carter and Johnny Depp play in this movie? <laughs> Um, did they mention a Lois Lane character in this documentary? I think they said Sandra Bullock is who they were. Oh, yes, they did. They were eyeing Sandra Bullock. So how, what do you think about Helena Bonham Carter squeaking her way into Lois Lane? All right. Uh, alternative theory. Okay. Helena Bonham Carter plays Perry White. Oh, Okay, and it's a it's a, it's a gen- yes, exactly. It's a gender twist on the head of the of the Daily Planet. All right, because she can scream. I think Perry White's whole thing is that he's screaming to get newspaper articles, and Helena, Helena Bonham Carter could do like a good shrill, like really make that uh, uh, like a, a bothersome or anxious workplace. You know. All right, I can get behind that. Okay, um, and what do you think about uh, Johnny Depp? I'm thinking. Jimmy Olsen comes to mind. I think that'd be interesting because Johnny Depp seems to be the the complete opposite of what I think when I think of Jimmy Olsen. (laughs) Uh, I'm also thinking of Johnny Depp plays Ma Kent. Like not gender swap, but like legitimately plays a woman. So like Eddie Murphy in like the Nutty Professor movies? Yes. And what's and Norbert. Norbert. How can we forget Norbert? <laughs> there was just a quick aside on Norbert. There was one time in my life I stayed at a hotel in Denver where you're allowed to smoke weed, and we found Norbert on the TV, <laughs> and we watched it. <laughs> that that is truly an aside. That had no bearing on this conversation. That's a great story, though. That's going to come up on a later cinematography. But no, what do you think? Johnny Depp is Ma Kent. I, I can't argue with that. The other thing that comes to mind, so I said Jimmy Olsen, I said Ma Kent. What about um, Jor Jor L, his father, okay. the voice in the in the Fortress of Solitude? Because yeah, Superman is Kal L, and Jor L is his father, and he, he he's able he's able to talk to him in the Fortress of Solitude. What do you think is Johnny Depp as like doing the same character from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, but as the voice of Jor L in the in the Fortress of Solitude? <laughs> That could be that could that could be interesting. Okay. What do you think? Did you have ideas on these two oh, characters? Boy, do I! I'm ready. Okay. Helen Bonham Carter has a has a, a big head, and much yes. like how she has in Alice in Wonderland, 
We make her Brainiac with the giant head in the jar. <laughs> this is the best one. I think I need a drum roll for this one. Johnny Depp would play Nicolas Cage as Superman, much like Fantastic Beast in the last five minutes of the movie. Superman is tied up and they say, reveal yourself. And we see Nicolas Cage melt away. And it's Johnny Depp. I love it, Zach. What about, I have one, I have one change. What about instead of the reveal yourself, they have to use kryptonite to cut away his face and it reveals Johnny Depp. Perfect. Uh, okay. Oh, I the love entire it. time we've thought it's Nicolas Cage, <laughs> yes, but yes. underneath it's Johnny Depp. <laughs> I, I'm surprised I didn't see that one coming, Zach. <laughs> Every movie from now on needs to end with our main characters telling the antagonist to reveal themselves, and it's Johnny Depp. Oh my god, I can't wait till the end of Bohemian Rhapsody when Freddie Mercury turns into Johnny Depp. <laughs> I can't wait for the end of Avengers 4 where Thanos turns into Johnny Depp. There's so many possibilities! <laughs> Every major movie that has an antagonist will dissolve into Johnny Depp. Okay, okay. I, I dig it. I dig it. So, Rob, what snack do we eat during this? Now, that's that's a tough one. That is a tough one. I don't think we have too many snack ideas in this documentary, in this movie. I don't know. Maybe Zach picked on picked up on some. I don't know. So, I, I'm a little torn. I think I have to go back to what we did last time for Jodorowsky's Dune and talk more about things that are not snacks or restaurant items, but rather an event. If there's some way, this idea isn't fully fleshed out, but if there's some way that we could combine the Nicolas Cage Superman and the Nicolas Cage Mandy axe eating spaghetti, maybe that would be something. Do you see where I'm going with that, Zach? All right. Some sort of tie-in. Yeah, yeah. You know, just to kind of, because now we have kind of in quick succession or relatively quick succession, we've had two Nicolas Cage movies, you know, maybe we can get them to come together somehow i i don't really this this movie didn't really give me a lot to go on with snacks you know did, did you have anything i guess did anything jump out at you or was this tough well, for you as well this is kind of it's kind of like it's not specific like rob says there's not really a lot of food items unless yeah. you want to like eat like a giant skull you can always eat a giant skull because the giant skull ship at one point um you can always do that but for those <laughs> of you who can't digest pure bone. so imagine like you know like you go to like to like certain restaurants you can like design your own like hamburger or like your own pizza. Sure. This is, it'd be just like that though, but you try designing it and you keep throwing all these different things on it that just some of them don't make sense. You take mm -hmm. some elements off, you replace certain elements and then eventually have like three quarters of the way through doing this, the restaurant just says, nope, you're done and you don't get any food. <laughs> okay. See, I feel like this might apply to the idea of November overall, not just this movie. <laughs> yes, but with our following two cinemas, or November cinemas, we get at least a final product that That's differs That's very fair. much from the initial concept. But at least with this one, though, so many different elements are changed out. And maybe I should have added the final like uh, finishing touches John Peters gives you a giant mechanical spider at the end of it. Okay, so so how about 
if you order this, you know, you make your own burger or something, or maybe it's make your own meal. There's like a, like a buffet area you can go up to, you know, with the different foods and different, you know, sneeze guard and all. And you go and you get your plate at one end of the line and you start and you're like, oh, I like that. You add that to your plate. You skip some stuff, add some more. But then all of a sudden there's a giant spider that slaps the plate out of your hand and you have to go back to your seat with nothing. What Maybe. Maybe, Maybe that's the on the spider's same? the spider's not there to yeah, spider's not there to deny you. It's there okay, as a so consolation the, prize. Ah, uh, oh, okay. So, so you're sticking more to the idea that the restaurant has to shut you down than the yes, spider. That's has, our oh, job. Okay, okay, okay. So yeah, we could add that to the list of things that the uh, Rob and Zach waiters have to do. Yes, and, and the Jordorowski waiter who gets mad at you for eating while you're eating. <laughs> He just goes around and harasses every table at the restaurant. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, if you're eating while you're eating, how can you eat? (laughs) Well, it's a weird sort of dilemma where if he's not at the table, you're allowed to eat. But if he's there, you can't eat. (laughs) So you have to hope that he's at another table harassing people. Because as soon as he leaves, you can begin eating again. He doesn't mind you eating. He just can't be there while he – he can't be there while you're eating. Yeah, you better you better hope that when a fire alarm or something goes off, the Chodorowski waiter is nowhere near your table. <laughs> Ooh, he's shutting you down every way, shape, and form. <laughs> oh, Alejandro. Oh man. Okay. No, I like I like that idea. We're we're getting. I like the November theme of shutting down your meal as it's being constructed, for sure. Oh, that's that's going to fundamentally change in the coming weeks. Of course, of course. You know, you're going to get meals that aren't put together well and don't taste good. <laughs> no. You order one thing, get something wildly different. Or in another case, you get your meal, but it's off in the distance and you're not allowed to eat it. <laughs> or you get a very, oh, poorly, a very poorly rendered copied version of, of your meal. I don't know if we've talked about it before, but are we going to have different wings for these different types of meals? For our, or is it you sit anywhere and you can get anything you want? Because I I'm like, thinking this restaurant's going to be so big if, if you know we're on a busy night and someone's like, I want the caviar fountain. And it's like, okay, you got to walk 700 feet to it. That's not good for business, right? Well, I think you can't miss the caviar fountain. I think that's kind of like when you go to like a Golden Corral and they have like well, a yeah. chocolate fountain. You kind yeah, of can't. It's like a centerpiece. You, you can't miss. Oh, so you're saying make it central to the restaurant? Yes. Okay, so don't make it farther from one table than another. Make it set. Okay, okay. Yeah, the big seller should be central. Okay, I see what you're saying. Good, there will good be thought. a smoking and non-smoking section, though. Hold up, hold up. You can't smoke in the whole area. No. Wait, why not? Well, there's going to be a kitty section, too. <laughs> of course you can smoke in that section, right? <laughs> you can't You can't order the cigarettes in the kitty section. You can't order that as a food item. I don't know. Okay, Zach, might, Zach and I might need to talk about this offline. I don't know about all these restrictions he's placing on the different wings of our Cinematis restaurant. <laughs> I'm a tyrant, folks. Oh, okay, no, I, I, like where, I like where we're going with this. We have a lot to work out. Two locations, I think we said now, but let's let's keep it going for sure. Yes, we got New York and we have Honolulu or o- Oahu. I thought it was Juneau, Alaska. <laughs> no, no, you'd sign on Hawaii because you have to be you'll be scouting there come this the, January. Yes, okay, you're right in the volcano. Yes, okay. <laughs> All right, that's gonna be Maui. Maui. That's where I'm gonna be. Maui. Oh, Maui. Honolulu. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. As long as we don't invest in uh, property below sea level, we'll be good. 
<laughs> I don't know. The underwater cinemodities restaurant might sell. Oh my! Oh man, that's what should, that's what we should have done for Tangerine Reef. We actually built oh, a cinemodities oh, restaurant oh, below oh. the ocean waves. You're so right, Zach. Oh man, what a missed opportunity. So many investors lost. <laughs> I'm very disappointed. I also didn't start seeing um, Octopus's Garden during that episode. Mm, that well, you still have to edit it. So, going, all right, folks. By the time you're you're hearing this, the episode's already been out. So let me know if I actually did that or not. I'll, I'll, I'll wait while you tell me. Tweet it, Zach. What he did or did not do. <laughs> you heard him, Pork Knight. Please tweet to at Cinemonies or Rob's account that he never uses. And let us know if I actually plugged in Octopus's <laughs> Garden into the episode. Ringo! Richard Starkey! Yeah! Alrighty, Rob, how are we going to end this episode? Oh, oh, God. What did we do for Jodorowsky? Cinemodities reversed? That was good, right? I think so. I think let's go back to basics when it comes to November. Yeah, I think the only music we really had in this Death of Superman Lives was the music during the intro sequence, which was super intense. Too intense for an outro, as far as I'm concerned. Even in reverse? Even in reverse. I don't know. Now that I talk about it, I might might swing it in there a little bit. (laughs) All right. Alrighty, everybody. Play that music. Funky November.